0: Did I say what her first name was? So when I adopted her, so they give the cats names. And um, since she was a tortoiseshell, her name on her identification was Tort. <laughs> Tort. Yes. And so I did try to call her that. and She didn't respond. So it's like, I'm going to change this.
1: Ugh. <laughs> That's a terrible name.
0: I know. It didn't fit her at all. She was too grand for it. So. <laughs> uh,
1: too grand. I love these descriptions. <laughs>
2: They're so homie.
0: Welcome to another episode of EdTech Cafe, a podcast series produced by the educational technology team at Stanford Medicine. Our team sits at the intersection of art, science, and education, and in this space, we'll sit down with other media and production-savvy professionals to discuss how they use their talents to support science and improve educational outcomes across the globe. I'm Jessica Whittemore. And I'm joined by my funny co-hosts, William and Andrew Beck. William Bettini and Andrew Beck.
1: Hello, hello. Hee
2: hee hey.
0: uh, And on today's episode, we're joined by Maria key. Maria Markey, My math isn't working. today, really well. um, What did you love or not love about interviewing Maria?
1: I, uh, well, Maria is so smart and uh has a lot of insight into what she does into creativity and into voice recording and i think it was just a treat to be able to talk with her for a little bit um sounds like she just knows what she's doing and that's super inspiring
2: yeah we really ventured into like uh kind of the Meta creativity side of it all. I mean, we started talking about tapping into dreams and and letting creativity flow and all of that stuff, and and it it was it was quite inspiring.
0: Yeah, she inspires me. It was so nice to be able to talk to her. Um, I don't trust my internet.
1: I don't trust the internet either. <laughs>
0: it's because <of> all those <laughs> germs on it.
1: Well, let's get those. Let's uh. Let's see about getting those germs off the internet, and uh, maybe instead replace them with a little bit of a treat.
0: Oh, I would love that. Thank you, William. A treat. (laughs) (laughs) A what? A treat. Yes, a A treat treat of the the day. A
2: treat of the day. A treat of the day. A treat
0: of the day. Here at at EdTech Cafe we like to supplement our tea and coffee with a little treat it can be any flavor and it can be healthy or unhealthy what's our flavor today wendy
1: today's flavor is spicy whoa mm.
0: unexpected
1: mm. so i want to i want to start the treat of the day by throwing a phrase at you too and give me your reaction to it okay The phrase is the architecture of serendipity.
2: Okay. (laughs) Nothing. I'm trying to process how those words fit together. Well, my
0: first thought is that uh, the feelings that come about from serendipity, there can be a certain map or like frame of mind. That
1: helps those feelings to happen. That's my question. Yeah, Andrew, do you have any uh, reaction other than I don't know disregard?
2: <laughs> no, it wasn't disregard. It was absolute flabbergast uh, I, was like, okay. I was like, what does what do those words mean? <laughs> well, uh, uh, let me
1: tell you a little bit. Um, I was reading this article today from uh, 2008. In the Harvard Review by Cass R. Sustine, it's called "The Architecture of Serendipity," and it was it, it was interesting to read this article today because um, this author was writing this, um, you know, twelve years ago when Facebook was new, when the you know Web two was a fairly new thing. I don't even think that phrase is meaningful anymore.
2: Web. 2.0
1: yeah the web 2.0 is the concept of the social internet um that really you know started with like myspace and live journal and all of that <laughs> and uh there was there was the idea that um there were you know these big social networks happening online right and that was fairly new back then and this article is written with the perspective that these sorts of sites like Facebook, which is the only site that still exists after that 12 years since this was written, that big social networks like that breed a certain uh, groupthink and homogeneity. And that writing about uh, life as a student at Harvard, Cass is saying that, uh, I'll just quote them, if you think about your years at Harvard, or high school years or summers you'll probably find that some of the best and most life-defining moments came not from your own self-sorting but from the power of serendipity institutions including educational institutions can create an architecture of serendipity they can promote common spaces in which different people of different types mingle together They can promote interactions between people who are different in terms of political convictions, social backgrounds, and interests. And they can combat self-segregation through housing assignments, curriculum, and social nudges of countless different kinds. The reason I bring this up, and the reason I think it's a little bit spicy, is I think that This concept of the architecture of serendipity is something that's missing in the remote world and uh, missing in in terms of the way that remote work operates right now. And I wanted to sort of update a previous treat of the day where we talked about the future of remote work meetings. (laughs) Um, If you recall, we were saying, you know, everyone has Zoom fatigue, no one likes it. And I was speculating tell, that... tell me about it, Jesus. <laughs> and now it's even worse, right? And, and yeah. I, I was speculating that, uh, you know, uh, kind of the language of games and online games um, is going to be increasingly used in um, remote work meetings. And we brought up uh, that startup, uh, Online Town. And, you know, thinking about architecture... This is kind of a big stew of ideas, but but let's just talk. Let's let's get through it. Um, I I just was thinking about my time, my MFA program at California College of the Arts, and I recall that the main building on campus had a single entrance and exit, and in that entrance exit zone was a powerful funnel to bring all sorts of people, students, professors, visiting artists together in the same physical space in which serendipitous encounters could happen. You know, you could meet somebody that you would never meet otherwise because you're you're literally running into each other. And I think that what this article, The Architecture of Serendipity, is talking about a little is, you know, in, in addition to, um, you know programmed events and and dorm assignments and things like that the the literal physical space of a campus can be this magical space of discovery where you run into things that you don't normally encounter in your life and it got me thinking that you know all of our meetings on Zoom and and our kind of texting on Slack and all of this promotes the exact opposite feeling, like the architecture of schedules, right? And this all came into focus for me um, this last week when I read that um, this, this virtual version of Stanford campus was created by the Stanford Women in Computer science um uh innovation challenge in which a couple of students recreated the stanford campus as a virtual basically a video game where you could where a bunch of people all stanford students could sign on and interact in a virtual recreation of physical space and i just thought that was really cool have have either of you seen this
0: no no Fascinating. First
2: time I'm hearing about it.
0: Listening to you, this whole lead up, I was like, yes, I'm absolutely with you. But What would we do
1: about it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's called Club Cardinal. Um, and if you are at Stanford, you can join. Even if you're not a student, you can join and you can participate in this uh, virtual version um, of the Stanford campus. It's kind of wonderful. It's these uh, five female students put it together, um, basically on their own. They got a, a tiny grant to do it, um, but it's this gamified version of Stanford. You, every time you log in, you get some coins. Um, you can chat with people. You have um, dorm assignments in the virtual Club Cardinal world. And they even hold... Are there uh, objectives?
2: Like, are you working towards something or are you just trying to get by a school year? I think that the objective is to meet people and hang out.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> and people... What more uh, do you need? I, and, and, you know, it's that thing that's missing right now.
0: Objective fun.
1: Exactly. And, and you know, uh, we just learned that the um, fall semester at Stanford is going to be virtual and undergraduates won't be allowed, um, onto campus. So, you know, it's the objective is filling that gap that, that, uh, and creating, I think that like that architecture of spontaneity, these, you know, areas where we, you can cross pollinate and meet other people. Mm. And, um, and I think it's really neat and you can, you know, people are hosting events and lectures on there. Um, I think that they're working on some sort of integration with Zoom. And I just uh, I you know, I think going back to our previous discussion about how much, you know Zoom fatigue we have, I think that this moment of remote work and remote education is is sort of a transformative moment about how we think about interacting virtually and i think that we're seeing that a lot of the values of physical space are being better defined and and considered by people who are making um you know social technology you know so things like spontaneity are important uh voice is important there are a couple startups i was just reading about that are making new work technology that is voice-based rather than text or video-based, right? Mm. So that you can you can uh, be working next to somebody or with somebody without the intensity of being on camera for hours on end, right? <laughs> and then <laughs> this is all feeling uh, like music to your ears, you know? And... <laughs> and uh, and then going back to the, the the concept of video games, you know, in addition to real video games like Animal Crossing or uh, uh, Red Dead Online, which is like a Western game, um, there are other companies like, let's see if I can say this, T-U-T-E-O-O-H, <laughs> who are creating these like like Sims-like meeting environments that have all of these like remote work tools, but... They use the metaphor of sitting at meeting tables, to, you know, include the ability to whisper to the person next to you, mm. and I just think it's super interesting that you know, like, that that these uh, ideas about architecture, which have been used in like arts campuses, like the one that I went to, are coming to virtual spaces, uh, to kind of fill these voids that have been there in
2: traditional like video conferencing or or texting where are we in terms of the technology um behind making things more um what's the word like the way i'm thinking about it is like when shelter in place first started and when all these work from home orders first started back in march i had this i had this inkling that we're kind of headed towards (laughs) we're kind of headed towards that point kind of like in star wars where people have hologram projections of each other in the palm of their hand Mm -hmm. you know i i had been uh flirting with that idea um, and just daydreaming about it like it would be great if this was like a turning point in history um in terms of how we meet how we interact online um but stuff like that visions like that have always been hampered or limited by the amount of technology that's been innovated or developed in that field. Right. So like, if like, where are we in terms of the technology? Like, do we still have to rely on like at the, at the most fundamental level, do we still have to rely on internet connections? And, you know, like, like, do we still have to worry about like, even, even if we develop like a great website or develop a great app Um, are we still at the mercy of bandwidth issues, you know, in order to like have a good time and have a smooth, effortless experience? Yeah. Do you know what I'm getting at? I I get what you're saying. Um, That's
0: certainly a consideration.
2: Yeah.
1: But you know.
0: Germs all over the internet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you know, uh, the United States does not have the best internet infrastructure in the world. In fact, it's pretty bad. And I I, I would just say I, I don't know what the difference in bandwidth use between like a video game online and streaming, uh, you know, video conferencing is. But in terms of like technology, I would say, you know, it's not like everyone is gonna sit down and put a virtual reality headset on to do a meeting. A lot of these uh, startups, like the, the TU uh, Sims meeting environment one, for, for instance, is de- designed to work with phones. Mm-hmm. So I, I, think, I think that a lot of the innovations are gonna be in using the technology that we already have, You know, most of us already have with us at all times. But, you know, to go back to video games like Red Dead Online, where you and a bunch of other cowboys can just sit around a campfire and talk. Or
0: cowgirls.
1: Or cowgirls, of course. <laughs> um, you know, that's already there. And that's just being repurposed. I th- so I, I think, in my opinion, the the technology is not a constraint. It's the design of, of an environment. Like, for example... Red Dead Online is not the perfect place to meet because, in the middle of your campfire meeting, you could get attacked by wolves. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, or maybe it would be, not to mention be that a you... great
0: that would be a great excuse to get out of the
1: meeting. I <laughs> guess
0: it's time to wrap up. The wolves are here.
1: <laughs> Jess, that's a great point because, um, you, you know, one, one thing that I. As uh, two years remote working, one thing that I miss is like when a meeting's over, you can go in real life, you can go and blow off steam, right? And um, in the remote world, you just close your computer and I don't know, go to sleep on your bed. (laughs) Um, But in Red Dead Online, when your meeting's done, you can get on your horses and go, uh, you know, wreak havoc, (laughs) uh, you know, rob a train or something like that. or or in animal crossing which by the way I found an article from Next Shark called Japanese company regrets using animal crossing for work at home conferencing <laughs> which I thought was a funny title it was funny because the the article was basically like oh they're doing this cute thing working you know working together on animal crossing but then it just kind of laid out all of the reasons why it doesn't actually work which is you know, you can't do file sharing or screen sharing. The talking is awkward. You can only have eight people. But you can go fishing at the same time that you're <laughs> meeting, you know? So I I don't know. The, the reason my treat of the day is spicy is because I feel like this vanilla Zoom world that we're in <laughs> needs some it needs some flavor and and i think you can learn a lot from from games in terms of the fun and maybe even you know passive activities that you can do while you're meeting you know it, instead of just looking at your phone or whatever <laughs> or checking your email and then and then there's the spiciness of physical space like the architecture of serendipity which is thinking about the way that like people bumping into each other or people whispering to each other in a big room uh, adds, adds that kind of uh, subtlety or, or flavor to real life that you just don't have online yet.
0: Absolutely. The way so, you've been hmm. talking about all this makes me think of my brain sort of always goes here, but um, to diversity within biology, that randomness is literally what makes us stronger? Because yeah. uh, randomness and diversity are what make us stronger. Because random events, random threats, that basically random responses to, either make us stronger or like kill you off, I guess. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of that missing online. And I wonder if part of the yeah, so
1: yeah, I I agree. I think that.
0: Our internet germs are back. (laughs) Um, I'll keep going a little (laughs) on this thought that it may not just be bandwidth. uh, That's a problem. In the past, it may have been like venture capital and money that kept that from being pursued. But maybe now that so many people are bored at home, um, we'll see a little more like randomness. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, looking at Zoom, The company, for instance, I think like their their stock, if you look at it, has, I think, tripled over the course of the pandemic. And I I think that you're you're right to point out venture capital because we're starting to see people investing in alternatives and competitors to Zoom that are more innovative in, in how they think about meeting in a virtual space and club cardinal, you know, um, which is not something that required any investment except for of these students time. It is, I think like proof positive that, that something has to change and will change because these students just made a virtual version of Stanford to hang out, you know, and that that's powerful. That is, it's crazy, isn't it? You know, they they spent 10 weeks making it. It it launched and um, they're continuing to develop it and it's getting, growing popularity. I think definitely over 2000 people have uh, created accounts and that's just Stanford, you know? What about every other university? Yeah. And what about every other office? Yeah.
0: I love that they also saw... The situation, and then started building something.
1: Yeah,
0: over ten weeks, unlike some of our other systems that are like it'll oh, just get better.
2: <laughs> that that seems to be kind of a kind of a theme d- these days in terms of um, we're we're seeing a lot of um, institutions of power uh, being exposed for lagging behind and falling behind the curve, and it really affects you know kind of the people at the bottom. Uh, just your average uh, daily, per- you know, average person um, feeling this kind of critical mass, feeling this kind of uh, frustration, having it boil up to a point where they're going to take matters into their own hands and really move ahead of the curve in a way where these institutions, a lot of which would be totally happy just rolling with the status quo, especially if it's mm-hmm. making them money. You know, especially if your stocks are tripling in value, like why would you want to change anything? And, you know, a lot of them don't acknowledge uh, these gaps or uh, drawbacks in a way that the average person would. And, you know, um, having having people take matters into their own hands, being creative and innovative um, on their own is, has really been kind of uh, a motif in these past few months.
0: Yeah
1: yeah and uh you know to to go back to evolutionary biology there's there's the concept of punctuated equilibrium which is the idea that um in general uh evolution doesn't happen at a linear pace things can be stable for a while and then suddenly something will happen which uh creates incredible amounts of change in a short amount of time like you know the extinction of the dinosaurs was what enabled mammals to become the uh, dominant species on the planet, and and I I think that that sort of law of changes happens in in technology too. I, I think we're gonna experience this punctuated equilibrium in the way that we meet online. I mean, it sounds a little dramatic, but but I think it's true. You know, it, it's gonna be pretty exciting, and and I and I love that. That chance and spontaneity and uh, you know camaraderie are the things that people are trying to bring into our remote work world, um, and you know I think that connects also a lot to um, our conversation with Maria. Mm.
0: I don't think you saying who that. as an
1: improv artist um, thrives on those very things, right? Yeah.
0: I don't think you saying that it's punctuated equilibrium is dramatic um, because it's a huge like this is a huge shift and our entire lives are online. Yeah. And I think that hopefully we will find a way to move towards that. I can't wait for everyone to hear our interview with Maria. And I think we should go there now.
2: Oh, she's walking in the cafe.
0: Oh, hey Maria! Girl. Hi Maria! <laughs> Hi Maria!
1: <laughs> We're over here.
0: Or are we at, at the, the table? <laughs> I want to be at the campfire, but I guess we are. There.
1: We're at the campfire sipping our coffee. There are yeah. wolves howling in the background.
0: <laughs> so, so get look out for those by. bandits.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: my video too since so you would just see my
2: side Yeah,
0: we'll all, we'll
2: all go <laughs> yeah I'm, I've been personally having internet issues recently I don't know if it's the heat or what but I'm turning my video off also I've been in my underwear all day so I don't Lucky. Want to show you guys that
3: <laughs> living your no, best Andrew. life
2: sounds like uh. <laughs> no because it's freaking hot and we can't open the windows out here you know mm.
3: Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's just like sauna time
1: yeah do you have air conditioning andrew obviously not <laughs> um, Williams, I just it's, had the to...
0: it's the bay area none of us have air conditioning we're like Maria what Maria.
3: nope we've got like a fan <sighs> system that circulates air but it doesn't like you know when it's 100 degrees outside it's like i can't i don't know what to do Sorry.
1: <laughs> the, the last summer before I left the Bay Area, a, there was a heat wave. And I have a memory of surviving the heat in my air conditionless home. Mm. I was laying on the ground in my office with the ceiling fan above just spinning full blast. Uh-huh. And something you, I should tell you about myself, is I hate ceiling fans. They give me anxiety. They freak me out. Oh, hmm You know, it's spinning blade. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm laying on the ground right below it with a wet towel um, mm-hmm. on me, uh, ancient Egyptian style. And I was listening to an audio book, uh, The Disaster Artist by Greg <laughs> Sestero. Yes. Anyone read that?
3: Yes. So Phenomenal.
1: Good. And it's the uh, best experienced in audio form because Greg has a perfect Tommy Wiseau impression. Mm. Uh, just a just a good memory. Couldn't do anything but lay there and listen and sweat.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds just just lovely. <laughs> uh, this heat with no AC, combined with the smoke from the fires. The last couple of days has reminded me of being in Nepal for the summer when uh, the monsoons were late and there were scheduled blackouts because there wasn't enough electricity and no one has AC to begin with. And during the heat wave, when the power would go out, so your fan would turn off, yes, literally all you could do was lay down on the bed, spray yourself with oh. water, and just sit in the mosquito net mm-hmm. and Ugh. hope. Hope to wake up again. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I Uh, was I was uh, oh, go ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was just gonna start us, but
2: (laughs) No, we should start.
0: (laughs) No big deal. We can all talk about how hot it is.
3: (laughs) On this episode of Ad Tech, it's so damn hot.
0: Yes. It's too (laughs) darn hot. It may I mean it is our theater episode. So let's begin. Our guest today is Maria Marquis, Woohoo! and Maria is both an actor and corporate software trainer and instructional designer committed to making work less boring. Should have taken a big breath before I said this. As an actor, she has been the recipient of Best Principal Actress from the Bay Area Theater Awards for the 2016 production of The Awakening. And the winner of Best Principal Actress for the San Francisco Bay Area Theater Critics Award for the 2013 production of As You Like It. She's also a prolific voiceover actor with over 30 audiobooks narrated and has been recording voiceover for the audiobooks for our current Q Centered Therapy course here at EdTech. Welcome, Maria. Thank you. It's good to be here. So nice to have you here. I just, I want to pick your brain. Do it. I do mean, it. we've been friends now for a while because we were in the mm-hmm. show together last year. But this is an opportunity to really get in there. <laughs> Although at the top of my notes, for some reason, it says Goldblum appreciation.
3: Oh, I mean, we can all take a moment to appreciate Jeff Goldblum's 10-second <laughs> laugh from Jurassic Park, <laughs> 1993. Oh. Glorious. It's not can 10 seconds if you looped it. True. It can go for ten minutes if you want, and I do want.
1: Can All I? Right. Can I give you uh, my attempt at it? Yes. yes. <laughs> 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 oh. it's
3: so Good. great.
0: <laughs>
3: you know,
1: okay. No. What was that? It
0: was. Andrew trying to be funny. Um, All I want
1: to <laughs> s- I just want to say Goldblum for me. I bought th- I brought this up just because I it's it's important to appreciate this man. Um I saw him talk at the 92Y. Um he just gave an interview cuz he was releasing a jazz record. Of course and- he was. <laughs> What's the 92Y? it's this uh uh jewish arts center um on 92nd street here in new york and they give incredible talks all the time and just watching this man like the way he moves his body and thinks about things i just appreciate his um the 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 way that he is fully himself And Mm -hmm. himself
2: is such a strange thing.
3: (laughs) Yes, it's so true.
2: And he's been himself for like decades. I feel like he's never, he hasn't really changed since uh, he first came on the map in the 70s. Mm.
3: May we all aspire to live life as authentically as Jeff Goldblum. Mm,
2: Indeed.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh my god.
3: Maria, did you always
0: know that you wanted to
3: uh, yeah. And, and I think actually my parents probably knew even before I did, <laughs> because I was one of those kids who was like always playing pretend and not just like basic pretend, but full on world building, like deeply intense, long form, like building out full characters with all the things and uh, my mom, actually, she she talks about just watching this little person. I was also an only child, so I was, like, playing pretend by myself. I didn't need anybody else to do it with me. And we went to, um, uh, like, a family vacation to Bush Gardens, and there was, like, a little place with, like, the kids' area. I was, like, four. And they were doing little plays for the kids, and you could come up and, you know, like, be part of it. And I was the pea in The Princess and the Pea. And she remembers just, like, looking at my face and how before I went on to, like, be with this lady for this very important production of Princess and the Pea, which is just (laughs) audience participation, let's be real. Um, She remembers seeing my face and I just had this look of absolute glee. And she was like, I need to find some place for this kid to put this energy. And so uh, she ended up, you know, finding, like, different uh, theaters where we could go and see plays. And I was completely into that. And then theater camp and all of that stuff. So. I think it's just that always, yeah. Oh, and it was like hardcore theater camp of like nine to five. You're going through like school of all these different classes. It was really, really fun and a huge part of my childhood and kind of where I figured out who I wanted to be. But I think it's always just been like playing pretend. Characters, stories have just always captured my imagination. And uh, yeah, I was that kid who was like, okay, so now. In this world, in episode three of blah blah blah, um, you know, I'd had a full backstory, and you know, could leave me alone by myself, and I could be perfectly happy just playing pretend for hours and hours and hours.
0: I have to say, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. not surprised. (laughs) I know, right?
3: (laughs) Spoiler alert: Um, (laughs) the obvious is real.
0: (laughs) Being around Maria makes you feel good because she is the queen of yes and. So Mm. anything that you do. That's silly, or you might be questioning even yourself. She will have already taken it and gone with it, and it just (laughs) makes you feel good about your choices.
3: I do love Mm. yes and. That is, I've never met a bit or a thing that I am not on board to take to the next step. And like, (laughs) sure, we can do this bit for like hours. That's fine. I'm into it. (laughs) Like yes and. Tell us about yes and. Like what is that? Oh yeah, sure. So uh, it comes from improv. Um, because the best way for improv to happen is for it to keep going. So the way that you kill uh, something improvisational is by saying no or no, it's actually this. I mean, you know, it's like the Michael Scott, the office where he always is just like taking it and like, I've got a gun. Um, but yes, and is this idea that if somebody makes an offer like, oh, it's, it's a beautifully hot day today, instead of saying, no, it's actually quite, co- quite cold, you would say, yes, it is a beautifully hot day. And I can't believe that there's this herd of sheep that's walking through our town. Yes, I know. The sheep actually have all been sheared because it's so hot. And what are we going to do with all this wool? I don't know. Maybe we could make sweaters out of the wool. Like you just keep going and going and going and going. Uh, so it's, it's about sort of taking what someone gives you. And then uh, doing something with it and offering it back. So you get this really beautiful, virtuous circle of creativity. And sometimes you can just use it to be silly with your friends as well. That's another part of it. <laughs>
2: it beautiful. sounded like that. It sounded like improv was um, kind of how you started with acting in the first place. It wasn't like you were um, at a young age, like reading scripts and then reenacting mm, those scripts right. or anything like that, right?
3: Yeah. So, you know, like sometimes it would be, oh, I read this book and now I'm really interested in this world. So I'm just going to play pretend in this world. But ultimately, playing pretend is improvisation. You're making up everything as you go along. And you can't plan pretend, right? That's, that's not fun. It's got to be about kind of that impulsiveness. And I think every kid has that for a while, and then it's, you know, how does that adjust and change as we grow older and become adults, and, you know, where does Come creativity... Criti- yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all just are like, well, now everything's planned. Now I'm in the land of no but instead of yes and. Um, oh. But yeah, I would say it's always been a huge part of um, who I am. I love playing, I love creating, and improvisation is a huge part of that. Even if you're not doing like an improv game, improvisation is where you find the good stuff.
0: Do you also
3: have a lot of training in improvisation? Um, Ish. Uh, I did a lot of improv growing up. Uh, So um, from middle school, high school, college. So I did a lot of it there. I haven't done a lot since, since I've become a a boring adult. Um, But it's always been something where I've found to be so magical to me. One of my favorite um, improv things is actually long form. So instead of doing short improv games, like you might see on Whose Line Is It Anyway or Comedy Sports, uh, there's something, it's called a herald. And what it is, is it starts off with you get a suggestion from the audience, just like a word, like Windex, I don't know. And then everybody in the team, so there's probably like eight folks, uh, sort of tells a, a quick story about whatever that word reminds them of. And then what you do is you start improvising the scenes from the stories And the purpose of the Herald is to figure out how all those stories can come together so it's not something mm-hmm. that you can like flex or effort or force cuz then it's not going to be enjoyable but it's like full open mindedness looking for every possibility and opportunity mm-hmm. and seeing how things can come together um and it's i've done it a few times and it's absolutely magical uh when it's when it's vibing it's so it's so cool yeah. um and really you know i think it's one of those things that so often we are forced to plan or you know really get something exactly perfect and and fuss with it a lot and when it comes to creativity, you kind of can't fuss with it too much because then you you kill it. Yeah, it's like over kneading dough, right? Now all of a sudden it's flat. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, when you when you flow and vibe and improv, I, I got to say it's like it's like a much different, um, in some ways, better feeling than mm-hmm. um, th- when you say that when someone says the last line of a play and then you all bow to the audience. It's it's a totally like you know it's a mix of that spont spontaneous creativity with um just that rapport mm-hmm. that you have with the other players it's it's pretty unique
3: yeah and then you know the thing when you're doing a scripted play is you're always trying to find that freshness right it still has to be reliable you know we have to we can't just change where we stand or change what we say but you're always trying to find how can i be the most receptive to my scene partner and react in the moment and find that freshness and not let it get stale and just rote memorization. So it's kind of neat. Like in improv, you're looking for polish. Like how can we establish polish out of nothing? And then in a in a scripted show, you're like, how can we find that freshness in something that is very structured? Um, mm. So it's this really neat kind of different challenges, but you're kind of trying to find that same thing of this. It always needs to feel like this is happening for the first time no matter where you are um, in that moment.
0: I love that description. Ah, thanks. And as one of your former scene partners, you definitely bring that freshness um, to your scripted scenes. I personally am terrified of improvisation. (laughs) (laughs) It is is scary. (laughs) Uh, Although I haven't trained in it, and I'm obviously not, uh, don't have the inclination for it. I did Mm. not play as you um, mm-hmm. as a child, but I, what you just said made me think of probably the way that I improvised during scripted theater. It's just by like being present and empathetic mm-hmm. and really reacting to the emotions that the other player is bringing. Yeah. yeah it's,
3: for both, it's like you have to get out of your head, right? And you have to release control. You can't, you can't be controlling the moment, because if you control the moment, you're going to miss all the good stuff if you're making it up from scratch or you're going to miss whatever great thing your scene partner is putting out there for you Mm. Um, because you're in your own head trying to control everything. And in both situations, it's you have to fully release it. And as a control freak in recovery, um, (laughs) that's really hard, but it's exhilarating Mm. when you can really just let it go and and um, have it be something that exists outside of you that you're part of and flowing along with.
2: So is that what you had to train for just to uh, that part about getting mm. out of your own head? Um, because it sounded like, you know, when it comes to um, making things up on your own, mm-hmm. uh, that came very naturally to you. But was, <laughs> there an, <laughs> was there an element of improv that you had to really work at oh, or yeah. train for?
3: I think a lot of it is it's the mindset, right? Um, particularly, uh, I've got a big perfectionism streak in me. Um, and perfectionism and control are, like, the two enemies of creativity, and, um, you know, I found early on in my training, you know, you're able to get away with, like, flair, right, and and use that control to be, you know, excellent in certain ways, but... You can't ever get to that next level, which is when an audience is watching you and they're fully along for the ride. They don't see where you're going next. It doesn't feel scripted. It feels like they're watching people living their lives and, and that's you know losing themselves in the story. And that's what we're all looking for. And so a lot of what I needed to work on in my development and what I still work on as an artist is this mindset of releasing control, being present, not being um, you know hyper- perfectionist and and finding the balance of, you know, knowing the play inside and out and also having the freedom to experience it new and not feeling connected to the results. Uh, and that's the other thing. If you're a perfectionist in control, part of that is I want to control the audience's reaction to me. But that is not my responsibility and a losing battle. And so a lot of what I've had to work on is, you know, hey, I'm here. I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to live this moment. And then whatever you need to take from it is what you're going to take from it. And not um, not being not watching yourself the whole time, which is almost like meditation, really, like being fully present. I was gonna say, yeah,
2: I was gonna say, like if you just take out the word improv, mm-hmm. um, it sounds like it could be a nice like. Like how-to manual for oh, for living totally, life.
3: Totally, totally. It's it it can get super woo-woo, and and the woo-woo part of improv for me is, uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go there with all of you. Uh, is it does almost feel like a religious experience, and by that, what I mean is, it's an opportunity to, when it's working, you feel fully connected with every other person in the room. Uh, You are getting things from something that's outside of yourself. You just start, like, noticing something, and there's an offering you can take it. And there's this energy of, uh, you know, something is happening here that is outside of who we are, Um, which sounds kind of woo-woo. But, you know, if I think about other religious experiences, it's that we want to feel connected to each other. We want to feel like we're part of something bigger that is operating around us. And I get that when I'm working creatively with a team of people.
1: Let's get let's let's keep going woo woo. Um, yeah. you know <laughs> I love woo. Uh, I'm ready. Are are you all familiar with the the Situationists or um any, anything
2: so. like that? No. Sounds familiar, but oh. for our listeners uh us. Well,
1: the Situationists were a uh French um movement of artists in the late 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um who sort of, uh, you know, in parallel to happenings in, in, uh, in mm. America, um, were exploring living life as art. And one thing, just one example of, of their thinking that I really love um, is the concept of going on a derive, um, which is the idea, I think it means dream. Um, oh, de in, rêve. In <laughs> c'est donc, uh,
2: you need more of that. Thank you, in the Andrew. Back.
1: <laughs> and uh so the concept uh is essentially to go somewhere unfamiliar without a plan um and to be there and mm. observe and, and let let stuff happen and either enjoy that experience as uh, a part of your life or to use that experience as uh, art making material yeah and it's really cool i actually i do a similar thing with my fiance whenever we go out anywhere we call it going for a fly Mm. and we (laughs) yesterday for instance we we went on off we we went on you just trying to
0: talk about jeff goldblum
1: again no (laughs) No, that's the fly. This is a fly. (laughs) 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 But but, but all all I'm trying to get at it is is like we 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 go and we say I guess yes and to every every turn around uh, to the next street or to like finding a strange thing that we're we're going to be part of um, just as we go out into the world. And that is super satisfying, and I feel yeah. like there's so much connection, mm-hmm. d- just living improvisationally, um, mm-hmm. creating art too. You know, um, l- surrendering a certain amount to the tools or the resources that you have yeah. is also another way of living improvisationally.
3: Because mm-hmm. well, so much. Lynchian. So much of it is is Absolutely. regulated, right? Like our schedules are hyper regulated, you know, depending on our jobs or our you know right. obligations, and also you know we are in in the states at least I think we're a very like busy culture, busyness is prized, and so there's so much of our life that is that is regulated that when you're actually able to let go of the need to plan or do something the right way or have the optimal experience, um it can open up so many possibilities and be. because it is unexpected that's what makes it really wonderful
1: yes yes chance serendipity Mm. uh, all of these things surrendering
0: Mm -hmm. maria what did you ultimately do to like specifically work on recovering from your perfectionism Uh, Uh, because i i too suffered from that um yeah and i went to yoga teacher training which is a lot Mm -hmm. of time to put into something over 250 hours. But that really helped me um, Mm -hmm. be okay with, like, instead of finding perfection to just think of things as practice and just stuff that we work on every day.
3: Yeah, I am by no means the master of this. And I think the ways that I've started to work with it is I needed to classify it as I need to get I need to make friends with this part of myself, right? Like right now, it's we're against each other. And this part of myself is judging this part of myself who's judging the other part of myself being John Malkovich, etc. But really <laughs> sitting there and going like, what I want, like, why is this so important to me? What about it? And then looking for opportunities to uh, do something different from my routine, So um, thinking about, all right, if I have been super perfectionist about something, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, uh, in this rehearsal or in this reading, I'm going to just go with my first choice, even if it sucks. Like, I'm just going to make the choice and see how I feel about it And, and just kind of give myself these little challenges, like looking for the opportunities to behave in a new way and then just reflecting, like, okay, how'd that go? Did I like that? Did I not like that? And... And also acknowledging that that perfectionist part of myself exists for a reason and, like, being grateful for it. Like, hey, hey, perfectionist self, I really appreciate that you are trying to protect me from looking dumb in front of people. You've done a lot of work (laughs) in that. You're working really hard. I appreciate you. Let's just try being dumb. Um, And the other thing that I think really has helped me in this realm is really um, putting my focus on other people. So so much of, you know, perfectionism or needing to control is like you're inside your own head. But I find that the best way for me to get out of my head is to, like, put my focus on other people. You know, if I think about the show that we did together, Jessica, it's like, how do I make Jessica look great in this moment? Like, what can I do to fully support Jessica? Oh, I want to really just be locked into what Jessica's doing right now. And by putting that focus on other people and on your creative partners – there's no option to stay in your head because if you're there to serve other people, then um, a lot of that perfectionism goes away, which has been really helpful too.
1: Hmm.
0: Oh, Maria. Uh, Well, can confirm for everyone. What was this uh,
1: recent theater production?
0: (laughs) It was called Silent Sky, which is by Lauren Gunderson, a very Bay Area native playwright. Mm -hmm. And the currently most produced uh, living playwright I say currently meaning pre-COVID mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> although she and her licensing company has been very wonderful with letting um, community theaters put on small portions of her works during COVID mm-hmm. um, without taking a pet she seems really nice uh, but we were in she that seems history. super and we cool. played sisters we did it was so great um, but Maria, what you're doing is working because you're always the coolest person in the room and you always make everyone feel good. I know I feel good whenever I talk to you. Um,
3: that means so much to me. That's amazing.
0: Well, I mean it from my heart. Um, how did you find your way into instructional design? And the, yeah. I mean, you are like, you're definitely a working artist, but you also do a lot of other stuff that seems sort of related to acting, but mm-hmm. maybe not all the way related to acting. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about those and how you got there?
3: Yeah. So I kind of accidentally fell into instructional design, and it started off because I got a job in customer service. So essentially uh, being your customer support person, customer uh, like account manager, making sure that you're happy with a product and i was doing that cuz i was like i need a job this works i like people i like helping people yay um but then what happened <laughs> is i was looking at my calendar and i'm like man i'm having the same just like general training conversation with my clients literally 20 hours out of my week and i was just like man it'd be really great if instead of having to do the same conversation i could just do like one class a week with all my clients And then I'd have 19 hours of my week back to do more strategic work with them or deeper dives with them. So I designed um, this class uh, that's just like a basic one, which was essentially like what I was doing conversationally, but one to many. And I also find that facilitating and training, it's so connected to being an actor, right? Because it's like, how do I give you a great experience? I want to entertain you as well as... Uh, educate you. Like I want to. I want to have this be an engaging experience. And so often, like online training just sucks. Right? It's <laughs> like someone shows up. They're kind of talking to their webcam. It's okay. It's really boring. I'm really just there to check my email. <laughs> you know. Like let's be real. Um, so I did that, and I had a really good time. And people were really enjoying it. And then I was like, man, I, I really like training. And I also love learning. That's another big part of me. Uh, and so I just kept following that thread, you know, learning more about instructional design, um, taking a lot of the things that I've learned as an actor, as a performer, as a storyteller, and interweaving that into any of the instructional work that I do, uh, You know, learned more about video production, learned more about e-learning design, and then just kind of was like, oh, I guess I do this now. This is great. Um, but it definitely came out of the things that um, – I think the things that make me a good artist are the things that make me a good instructional designer um, and and really bringing those two together.
2: Yeah, I do do see what you mean by going hand in hand with, um, especially as a performer and storyteller, because um, especially for the Mm -hmm. storytelling part, um, and I'm sure any one of us can vouch for this, is that as much as we do want a rapport with the audience, we also really kind of want to, Guide them through the experience, mm-hmm. whether it's yeah. um, something comedic or something um, sad or inspiring. Um, we don't want to leave the audience necessarily confused and um, scrambling for straws to try to mm-hmm. figure out what's going on. Um, so you you do want to have that connection, both in terms of like give, having you know giving them a good time, but holding their hand yeah. and, and kind of walking them through the experience.
3: Exactly. And the the thing I'll add to that is human beings, our brains are not built to store data. Like even though we prize data and data-driven decisions, like the human brain doesn't hold on to just raw information. The human brain holds on to narratives. You know, if I told you a list of 10 words right now and then, you know, in a month I was like, hey, Andrew, what are those 10 words that I told you? You could probably remember a couple of them. But if I told you a story with those same words in it, you could probably a month later give me a 98% fidelity of that story because the human brain holds on to that narrative side of things. It it engages us on a hormonal and a biological level. And so when we think about learning, if we can couch learning inside of storytelling – Inside of an experience that you've gone through with somebody who's guiding you through and, and supporting you as you're exploring things, you're going to remember that, which means you're actually going to learn it. You're going to internalize it. You're not just going to know it, you're going to be able to do it. And that's a really big thing that I always try and bring into instructional design that I do.
2: I mean, it, it sounds just hand in hand with what we try to do at EdTech. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when we all first joined the team, the work we were doing, or at least the work that we saw, our clients or um, faculty members um, working on, we're just kind of just like rote memorization, you know, and and a lot of what we do and and what you've seen us do, Maria, because you've been a part of uh, Mm a couple of our projects is we try to couch everything in some kind of story um, or a clinical vignette or um, just, you know, having these learning objectives Mm -hmm. be part of a narrative. Yeah. And, for the most part, the reception we receive on, on that technique has always been positive. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you uh, empathy is a huge part of learning too, right? Like if you can see yeah. yourself in another person um, as that person is going through the same concepts you are, it, it connects you to it on a different level and you, you learn it in a different way, which uh, usually I think is more effective. Um, and also just more engaging because we also have – we remember when we have a good time too – and that means that if we ha- when we're having a good time it means we're also going to retain that that behavior change right
1: right yeah i think one thing that um you know one word that gets used a lot in education is um immersion mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the time with edtech in particular there's um you know, a danger that immersion can just mean new technology. Mm-hmm. But I think what our team tries to emphasize is that storytelling is immersive when it works. Yep. And, and like you were saying too, moments of surprise, moments of delight, those are all, you know, ancient techniques for mm-hmm.
2: um, helping people remember things. Yeah. Oral storytelling. Totally. Yeah. All the way back. Back mm-hmm. to Homer. And- and gilgamesh our brains
3: are built for it like we are we are little antiques right even though we're living in the modern world our our, our physiological being really hasn't changed in you know tens of thousands <laughs> of years and so like all of that hardware that still works and sometimes we forget how powerful that that old hardware is and that it's really quite simple when you need to engage somebody
2: that old reptilian brain
3: indeed yeah. that medulla oblongata it's going to get you there yeah
1: in fact, you know, um, the our reptilian brain is the model for a lot of the emerging technology right now, like mm-hmm. machine learning, for example. It, the concepts in machine learning are taken directly from the way that our neurons learn. Yeah,
3: in our totally. brains. Yeah.
1: Got to remember Neural that brain net is
3: not just a buzzword. It's actually how it works.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So I can, you have such empathy that you can, that's not how I want to start this question. Mm. <laughs> uh, I guess I I just, sometimes when you talk, I sink so far into what you're saying. I just it's like little pillows. I just want to push them in there. Um, when you speak, it just sounds so much like you know what you're saying because you do. Um, mm-hmm. But as an instructional designer, you also have to, or in place also have to share material that you may not have been familiar with mm-hmm. prior to doing it. Yes. Can you tell us about a topic that you've had to instructional design or ask yes. um, that felt like very far from the normal?
3: For sure. So um, I'm just like back in that moment. Uh, so <laughs> last year, um, that's your I had theater to, training. I know. I was, I'm there. I'm here in the present. Uh, so last year, one of the projects I had to work on was I needed to build an e-learning course for people who were using um, an API platform from one of my clients. So this meant um, the command line interface, uh, programming, developer tools, Postman, all this stuff that I have never worked with before. And I definitely felt out of my depth. Um, And I had to ask all the dumb questions and break it all down and struggle through. And really, it was I I felt like anytime I was working on the content for that, I was completely out of my comfort zone and completely like it's almost like I was in a different country and I didn't know the language. And I'm fumbling around trying to find the bathroom right? Or like, well, how do I get this croissant? I, I would like it. What Do, do I may pay for it? <laughs> um, and just being completely uncomfortable and not like uncomfortable bad, but just uncomfortable. I don't have control. I can't be a perfectionist. But it ended up being really interesting because, number one, I learned a ton about a world I'd never been exposed to before. And then if I think about the advantage that gave me, is I'm designing this e-learning technology, this e-learning experience for people who are new to this, which means I am the newest person. So if I can crack the code and make this make sense to me, that's going to probably be a lot more helpful for everybody else who's out there getting ready to engage in this as well. Because I think sometimes when we are the expert, it's really easy to forget how weird certain things are about our profession or our craft.
2: Like, come you on, know. you don't know how to save your files? Come yeah, on.
3: Exactly. Or even just like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to write a <laughs> GUI in Visual Basic, which is, you know, <laughs> incorrect. <laughs> but um, that that there's so many things about, you know, the, the language of a knowledge domain and the, the things that we assume or the leaps that we make um, that... That when we are an expert, sometimes we lose the edge of being able to design learning. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was really an interesting project. And when I finished, I was like, yeah, I made that make sense. Yes. <laughs> cool. Anybody can get started now. Um, but that was definitely my, my biggest challenge. And I had a couple moments of like, oh, crap, am I going to be able to do this? I don't know. And just the, the extra rigor and getting in that learner space yourself, right? Like being the the lead learner in that case instead of the expert was a really interesting shift.
0: Nice. Turning that weakness into a strength. You know, yes
3: and. It's all about, <laughs> all about that. Coming back to that It every all time. comes back to that. <laughs> yeah. That's my secret. Just yes and.
0: <laughs> I love that. There was a certain point in my life where I realized that other people were doing things and mm. to let perfectionism stop me from doing them because I was afraid of failing was stupid. Mm-hmm. those people are doing it or like those idiots are doing it yeah and <laughs> if i can't figure this out then there's something wrong with it so that mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be able to it
3: out. yeah and I, and in many ways i feel like we're all kind of faking it until we make it to some degree anyway you know like i don't think that anybody knows what they're doing a 100% of the time and
0: and, and if that's they a, say they do i don't really
3: yeah listen. exactly like you know let's sit down it's okay um but yeah, it's, uh, there's something to be said for just being like, you know what? We're here in this moment. Everything is figure outable, And, uh, you know, I'm not the only one who has been in this position before. This is the human state of learning something new.
0: Uh, when did you start recording, doing voiceover work from home? Or yeah.
3: From home? So it's been about, I think I've been doing it for almost 10 years. Uh, I've been Hi. doing I've been doing audiobooks for eight years, but I had been doing like commercial voiceover um, and things like that for about a decade. Uh, but yeah, about eight years ago is when I was like, man, I'm in my car all the time. Back when you, we used to drive around, how exotic was that? Um, <laughs> and I would always listen to audiobooks because I can't I don't like listening to the radio for music because it's just like the same songs over and over again. Um, you also can only listen to the news for so long before you're like, I need. Time out. Pause. Um, And I also just love stories. And because I was an actor, you know, driving to rehearsal, which, you know, in the Bay Area is, you know, you might be in the car for one and a half, two hours, you know. Yeah. I wanted that to not be wasted time. And there's all these books that I wanted to read. But I didn't have the time to sit down and read them. And when I would, I'd be like, well, now I'm asleep after three pages. So audiobooks took away the road rage <laughs> because it was like, this, I'm actually using this time to experience a story and this is fun and this is a book I wanted to read anyway. And then I was like, man, that would be so fun to do. And so I started learning about audiobook production, training for audiobook production, and then started going out and doing it. And it's been this really great foil to theater work because theater work is collaborative you know you're doing it all together it's um you know people in real time you're figuring it out together you're cracking the code together you do it for an audience that is right there in the moment with you and then audiobooks it's actually a very quiet bit of creativity it's just you alone with the story in a box like I'm in my little box today my little closet my little TARDIS um and there's something really neat about that more solitary creativity. And right mm-hmm. now, you know, with theater not happening uh, because of the pandemic, it's ended up being like a little saving grace of being able to have this creative outlet in my little box with these stories and helping them come alive and um, doing that, which has been great.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us a little about your setup? Because you mm. were like very well set up, I guess, for COVID. Um, yeah.
3: It's You're like you better set up well, than
2: than like EdTech ourselves.
0: <laughs>
3: come, <laughs> come over to my house um whenever that's possible. Yeah. So Wait, um, I want
0: to do that, then I could see the doggy.
3: Oh, Ned. Oh, he's so cute.
0: Maria has a very cute and fluffy golden retriever named Ned.
3: He is super photogenic and he's the best dog in the world. Aww. And you can fight me on that. I will fight anyone. <laughs> Ned's the best.
0: Uh, does Ned it.
3: ever get in the way of any audio recordings? No. So uh, back eight years ago when I started uh, doing audiobooks, I was just in my closet. So I had a big Rubbermaid container that was lined with a foam mattress topper. My mic was inside of it. I had the rest of the foam mattress like curled over the rod in my closet and then my clothes behind me. And I'm sitting on like a little step stool. It was very, very low, low tech. But it like my first... 10 to 15 books I did all in there, you know, and it, it worked. Um, and when that was the case, there was one moment, Ned, this was pre Ned, uh, but I also have two cats. And there was one moment I'm like recording this very intense scene in this book, and it's really, you know, intense and amazing. And then all of a sudden I hear. Meow. <laughs> and I looked down and my one cat Athena is just she was just down between my legs and I was like okay you cat do you think you're an audio engineer like get out of here come on she'd been in there the whole time <laughs> the whole time and I wouldn't have noticed until she was like Meow. and I think she was probably like I'm ready to leave now because you keep talking and I wanted to just sleep in here and
2: you're talking in a scary <laughs> voice <laughs> exactly exactly you're
3: being all intense um so right now in my new setup I have it's called a studio brick which is really it's a really cool thing It's a booth and it goes together kind of like Legos. So if you ever need to move it, you can just take it apart and put it back together again, but it's all fully soundproof. Um, And I have it in um, our spare room, which is like downstairs and it has its own door. So Ned is not allowed inside. So I always shut the door and um, I'm, I'm able to be fully isolated, but I have noticed the booth cancels pretty much every sound. Except this one type of bark that Ned does, which will cut through. <laughs> 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 and so every once in a while, I'll have to st- – it's like planes, sure, it doesn't catch that. It does, it, it, it's totally zambo, but there's this one bark that Ned will do that for some reason the frequency can just pierce all the way through. Um but yeah, it's it's like my it's like a phone booth. It's about the same sound. It's like a large phone booth. I've got a monitor inside so I can have my script and my audio interface inside. Um, my computer is outside so the fan noise doesn't get on my mic. Um, I've got a little mic with a boom arm so I can move it around. Uh, and then a preamp in here, which is where everything plugs in to make the sound go magical. And then I my chair is also very important because with audiobooks, you know, I'm, I might be in here for... You know, hours at a time, and I wanted to make sure that I'm not messing up my back or anything. So I have it. It's like a, it's almost like a saddle, like for a horse, so that uh, my leg. It's almost like um, it's the most relaxed way to be. So my legs are fully, you know, like spread out. um, My back is able to be nice and supported, and I'm able to be like um, adjust it up and down. But the chair has been a really nice upgrade uh, for those long recording sessions where you got to be like, okay. This is this is war and peace. We got to get after it. So,
2: (laughs) wow, this does not sound like PVC pipes and blankets. You know what I mean?
3: (laughs) No, but, you know, the cool thing about audio right now is the equipment has become a lot more affordable. So it's there's a lot more access for people who might not have been able to have access to this type of artistry as in the past, which is really neat. And you can do a fair amount of like DIY stuff. You know, I did that like very janky DIY setup for years. Um, And then when I had my 30th birthday, I was like, hey, you're a voiceover artist. It's time to invest in yourself. And so I decided to get the nice big fancy booth um, as just an investment in myself. But it's one of those things that, you know, I could have kept going in my closet if I wanted to. Um, But I just decided, you know, for me and where I'm at right now, I really want to do this for myself.
2: Just this week, um, I don't know about you, Jessica, if, if Irfan ordered one for you, but William and I uh, received um, kind of, I guess, portable vocal booths uh, that we had purchased online. And it's, it's you know, just leagues away from the FedEx cardboard box and <laughs> the pillows that I had set up for myself every time we do one of these podcast recordings. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, it's it's it definitely makes a difference.
0: Yeah, totally. I did get the shield when I set it. Awesome. I'm also still using. I'm just recording on ear earbuds, so it feels weird to like put a shield. (laughs)
2: <laughs> sometimes those earbuds sound better than my janky microphone so
3: the the technology like what you can get for a pretty affordable price it's it's so increased in the last you know 10 years like it's it's really cool how how accessible it's becoming
0: yeah i will be getting a microphone uh, because i switched my computer i had Ugh. a macbook pro that only had usb ports, mm. and I couldn't find a mic that I liked that plugged into those. And the ports didn't work with dongles. But now mm-hmm. I've moved to a Dell, um, and I will be getting a mic, and I'm really excited because that's awesome. My, my voice teacher, uh, through like trial and error with basically all of her students, honed in on one exact microphone model that handles singing at all vocal ranges. So oh, cool. I'm going to treat myself for that with that and then also use it.
3: Do it. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. I'm actually, I'm trying to pull myself out of my COVID depression because mm. <laughs> when Shelter in Place started, I was uh, doing weekly voice lessons Yeah. and exercising my voice. And I started taking piano lessons weekly and was practicing that a lot. And I was like, all right, I'll use this time to like better my craft. And then after a couple months, I just got really sad. Um, yeah, like theater wasn't happening, and I sort of quit. So I'm going to buy this mic to trick myself back into uh, resuming my voice exercises.
2: Uh, nice. Yes, yeah. it
3: is. It is hard to keep um, to keep the flow going when um, when the world around us is both changing at a very rapid pace, but also like staying um, depressingly the same. Right I feel like it's yeah. um we don't have milestones anymore, which is really hard to like keep the resilience, particularly for something that is so delicate as creativity, particularly if it's like creativity that has to access your heart and I don't know, like my heart is just very tired these <laughs> days, and so sometimes it's just real hard, that's <laughs> so I, I definitely empathize with that situation
0: yeah how what have you been doing um? It's different now during Shelter-in-Place because mm. before Shelter-in-Place happened, you you probably did more plays, live plays, than anyone I know. Uh-huh. Um, you were constantly, like you were rehearsing for one play and then it would open and you'd start rehearsing for the next. And then yeah. you'd have stage readings uh, smattered in there.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: How those else, were the days yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but how's it changed
3: yeah so the big thing that I've done because I, I'm the type of person that if I don't have a creative outlet I get really anxious I don't I don't like it. I don't know how to be still it's very hard for me um, so there have been two things that I've been doing the first is I've gotten back into reading physical books again and hey. forcing myself to be like hey you know what You don't have to do anything productive right now. Why don't you just read this book? And so I try and find uh, like small bookstores online and order directly from them. So I'm trying to like support small businesses and also just exposing myself to books that I've never heard of before, because usually those small bookstores have like staff picks, and so I've just been mm. like, huh, I wonder what Gretchen at A Room of One's Own recommends. That sounds cool. And I've ended up um, reading just a bunch of novels, which has been awesome, and also some really great nonfiction. So that's one thing. But the other thing I've been doing is I have just been recording audiobooks like a madwoman. So I had had audiobooks scheduled out through October. And usually, because I'm doing all the other things, I can do maybe one or two books a month if I'm also doing a show, right? Right. Um, So now I've been like, well, you know what, I can just take all those books that were supposed to go through the rest of, you know, October, I can just do them all now. And I've been trying to just really get a bunch of audiobooks done. And um, that's been really great, because I feel like I'm still scratching my artist itch, even though it's different. And I miss, I profoundly miss the collaborative art form of theater um, in my bones. I still feel like I am telling stories, and I'm exercising those muscles. and also having fun because a lot of the audio books that I do, I, I do a wide variety, but I also have a pseudonym. Uh, and I record romance novels under the pseudonym. And, <laughs> and those are ridiculously fun because it's like bub- it's like bubble gum for your brain. And like all you're doing is telling love stories, right? And it's like, oh, yes, we could all use more love stories. And that's been really enjoyable. And I've got a couple authors that are just some of my favorite people to work with. And so it's been really nice to just collaborate really heavily with them. Um, but that's how I've been filling my time.
2: When you're doing all those audiobooks, how, how do you keep your voice fresh mm. and loose and, and yeah. you know, mm-hmm. Like what's so the secret?
3: The secret is, you know, just like, like your voice is a physical thing, right? It's not something that's outside of you. It's made of physical body parts that can be taken care of. So uh, warming it up before you go in, just like you would any other body part. Um, then also uh, hydration. Like water is huge. Um, And then when it's cold out, I find my voice needs to be warm. So I like to have hot water. But right now, no, it's like ice water all the way. Also probably an (laughs) ice pack somewhere like in my my waistline or something. Mm. Um, And then the other thing is it's a lot about scheduling, right? So um, I like to schedule it in chunks of, you know, work for this many and then take a break, work for this many, take a break just to kind of keep it all there. And then the other interesting thing about audiobooks is, unlike theater performance, where like you need to use your voice to fill a large room, without a microphone, many times. That's my I I rarely work with a microphone uh, when I do theater. Audiobooks, it's it's like you're just talking to somebody who's right. You know, the mic mm. my microphone is six inches away from my mouth right now, so I don't need to be talking at like theater volume, right? I'm just <laughs> I'm just talking. Um, Very intimately, so it's a different different type of. um, You're not wearing it out as much. Yeah, but a lot of it is, you know, prepping it appropriately, hydrating appropriately, and then scheduling so you're not um, going for a really long time without some kind of break.
2: Very regimented. I love it.
0: You know, scheduling, Andrew. It's funny you say you're not wearing it out as much because that is true. But also, um, when you have a microphone. You get to sort of play with your different vocal ranges mm. um, and mm-hmm. so you're outside of your normal, perhaps your normal projecting vocal range. So in that way, it's like the teeny muscles um, can also get time. Mm-hmm.
2: The different voices that Maria does, you know, for her mm-hmm. audiobooks, uh, I'm sure mm. they're tackling different muscle well- groups.
3: It depends on um, – I could I could totally nerd out on this, but I have a whole, like, map in my head of how I map different characters. Um, and I'll say, like, if I'm doing men, uh, that is a much more taxing voice to do, even though I don't do, like, I'm a man. Oh, like, that would be weird. Tell us about it. But, like, you know, if I'm – this is my general narration voice, right? It's hard to be a man. I get it. Uh, I'm just I mean, kidding. you know, it's all right. Um, Everybody's right. Everybody's got their struggle. I get it. Um, but like, if I'm narrating regular, I usually stay in my normal tone, which is about where I'm at right now. But then I might have younger characters where I bring it up a little bit higher. So I'm in this space instead um, and having a little bit of a different cadence. But if I'm doing a man, I have to bring it down more into my chest resonators like I'm doing right now, which is <laughs> not necessarily – my natural speaking voice, it uses different muscles, so it tires it out a lot more. And you have to be really careful when you change your gender up that you're not um, overtaxing it there. Because you know, any voice that you do, you're not doing it for like an hour. You're doing it for several hours. So your, your voice yeah. needs the, – the character choices you need to make need to be both sustainable and distinct, which is always kind of a fun challenge. Amazing. I am.
0: I know. Well, have you ever made too bold a
3: choice and then had to be like, oh, I can't? Yep. Um, Her name was Constance. (laughs) She was an old witch lady. (laughs) And I I started off my book doing Constance. She had this very gravelly voice, which is not very good for your vocal cords. No, it's terrible. And then uh, I found out that Constance had a whole chapter that was like 30 pages narrated by her. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> How am I gonna survive? And I actually ended up having to adjust my production schedule to give myself more time off wow. after that chapter because I was like, this messed me right the hell up. So I was, <laughs> that's I was kind gonna of say, it, never one, forget her.
1: One of my pet one of my pet peeves when listening to an audiobook is mm-hmm. when the uh, narrator is too, um, I guess, leans into the character voice too much. Mhm. Um like some oh, man, some people are not very good
2: at it. Um, so I'm
1: I'm glad to hear that you you thinking about it. I used to when making art like a, like 5 years ago I was making the sculpture and I was listening to audiobooks of the Dan Brown books mm. which it's a they're not oh, good God. books. They're terrible mm. books. But it's sort of like listening to Wikipedia on tape. So Ooh. it's fun, Oof. but but the but the narrator <clears throat> is this uh, uh, a man? Anytime he would do a woman's voice, it was it, oh. it, it just made me want to stop listening. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was like going from it's like going from this. Robert Langdon awoke slowly, and then and then a woman comes in and goes, Monsieur Langdon, <laughs> <laughs> I hope I have not awoken you. <laughs> Dazed, Langdon looked at the bedside clock. It, it, yeah. it, it was a chore, but it was also funny, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where like it, uh, if we think about like coming back to what we we're chatting about at the top of our time together, um, this idea of is it about me or is it about right. you receiving the story? Right. And if I'm too up in my own world about making like, oh, Monsieur your I am doing this beautiful French voice because oh, look at me. I love you so much. Jesus. You know, <laughs> like it just it's like that's about me. Right. Like right. instead of what it, this person is a person. Right. Right. With thoughts, feelings, emotions. And I need to take them seriously. And I need to bring them to life. Yes. And I need to have it be distinct so you know who's talking. But it needs to be about the story first. Like I need to be communicating to you if you're hearing. Oh, there's that weird voice. You're not hearing the story. Right. And you just hear the sounds um which is like a huge part of like when you have a great audiobook it's like you don't notice the voices you just yeah. notice the story.
1: What right? about with a romance novel? Like mm. do you do something different for that? Not that I want no. you to reveal your identity.
3: <laughs> no. Um I am I am very proud of Marina Barrett. She is awesome. Um I don't do it differently and I think that's part of why it's successful, right? Um, because even though there's steamy sections, like, it's still just a story, and I need to make that story come alive for that person. And even though these are characters in a romance novel, they're still people. I need to take them seriously as people and care for them, otherwise it's going to come off as weird, right? And if you also think about, like, a romance novel is meant to take you on an escape, if you can't escape because it's like someone's indicating at everything... You're not going to get what you need from it, and it's still just a story with just people, um, and, and you need to honor that story and those people.
0: Art so often fails for me because the people writing it or performing it mm. aren't taking the character seriously.
3: Hmm. Yes. Yes. So
0: yes, we totally. normally, normally at EdTech, when we need voiceover acting, we just grab someone from our team. Um, or a loved one, Mm -hmm. or maybe a faculty member, and generally, we can like coach them to getting just exactly the meaning that we want, Mm -hmm. and it works fine, but when we started writing these chapters for our Q-centered therapy course that we wanted to turn into an audiobook, I feel so lucky that I knew all about you and trusted you um and asked you to do the recording for it because it just sounds so like there's so much more work um that goes into it doing the different characters Mm. um and of course now that we're in COVID Mm. recording at home um you're just doing such a wonderful job it makes me feel better about (laughs) about the words that I've written sometimes um and you you always find the meaning that I was hoping to get in there. How many, we've probably done a couple dozen chapters by this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think only one sentence did you say with a slightly different uh, meaning than <laughs> I was hoping. Yes. that is
3: That is the best compliment to receive because that's why I get up in the morning and that's that's why I like to do this work is to help things come alive for people, which is my favorite thing to do.
0: Yay. Yay. And it's just so impressive when, uh so these, these chapters, some of them, there's like the narration voice, the therapist voice, the youth. There's a kid in there and then their mom. Um, And you're doing all this. Me. Me.
3: Yeah. I've been having a lot of fun with them and, um, it's nice to work on important work, and to know that this is a an accessible way of learning for a lot of people. Um, that that's like can be very widely available and honors a lot of different learning styles, and that you know all of the things that are coming alive. It's like you you are experiencing not only the information about you know how to conduct this therapy. But also, you're getting exposed to all of these young people and their emotions in context of that, which is cool. you like, I can read about how this works and intellectually understand it. But because there are the patients in each of these audiobooks, you get I, I feel like I experience it in a different way. I was like, wow, like, okay, the emotions thermometer, that's a concept. Yeah, all right. yeah, you just say where you are. Cool. But then you see how that emotions thermometer affects each of these different young people. It makes it come alive in a way that, um, I, that, that's unexpected and interesting. And that's where I think it, it just like really clicks for me and why I love it so much.
2: Thank you for plugging our course for us.
3: Hey, you know. Nice. I got to do what I got to do. Got to <laughs> share the
0: wealth. <laughs> Maria Markey, it has been such a treat to talk to you. I miss you so much. I know. Oh, me too. This has been great. (laughs) Thank you for telling us all about art in the time of COVID. I think from you, I've learned perhaps what I already knew, but that (laughs) during Shelter in Place, I can't focus too much on mourning what I can't do, like live theater, but just focus on Mm. what I can do that still supports that sort of um, creativity. Which for you is doing more -hmm. um, audiobook recording, and for me would be getting back into singing and piano.
2: I'm gonna practice
0: piano tonight.
2: Do it. (laughs) Pretty inspiring, yeah.
0: Absolutely.
2: Well, Maria, it's been a real pleasure, as Jessica said. No, it was every every week. Um, we've been we've only done two episodes so far, but um, and this is our third. And we've been fortunate so far to have pretty inspiring guests. Um, just talk about where they come from. But I, I feel so blessed um, this week to um, just hear from you and and talk more about craft and have that inspire us uh, mm. to just work on our craft a little bit more. It's been great.
3: Yeah, thank you yes. so much for having me on board and being part of this project. And also, it's just nice to chat with people and have some human connection during this time. Mm-hmm. So it's been a pleasure.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh. Maria, is there anything that you're working on now that you'd like to share with listeners?
3: Oh, yeah. Um, so you can always go to Audible and search for either Maria Marquis or Marina Barrett if you're looking for something steamy. So that's uh, <laughs> where all of my audiobooks are. Um, I've got my most recent one is a version of The Awakening by Kate Chopin, which I'm really, really proud of. And um, also got some really interesting, uh, I got a really interesting fantasy series out there right now called The Fourth Talisman, which is really Ooh. good to check out, too. Yeah.
1: Awesome.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. And uh, stay stay healthy out there.
2: Give Ned a, a pat on the head for me, please.
0: <gasps> yes, yes, of course. I'll give him several pats. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us today at EdTech Cafe. Like, subscribe, and review our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, have a great week.